Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis with attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to The Reaction here on the Chairshot Radio Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Brawlhurst. I apologize in advance of the show tonight. You are going to hear me sounding a little bit snuffly. Unfortunately, my sinuses have been whooping my ass for like the last three days, so I will do my best to try to mute my microphone whenever necessary in order to keep it to a minimum, but I can promise you that I will be having some sinus issues during the course of this show, and I'll do my best to adjust as necessary. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host, Tony Acero. What up, motherfuckers? Welcome back. How was Texas? It was interesting. It was definitely interesting. (laughs) Okay, so does one fly to Texas on a whim, or does one drive to Texas on a whim? Oh, I, we flew. I, I don't like long drives. My limit is like Vegas, which is about three to four what, hours. What possessed Doug to want to go to Texas? I'm just curious. Her best friend's mom lives out there. Ah. She just wanted to kind of get away. So it was to go visit the fam. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we didn't go out fam. much. I mean, I was still very... Very, um, you know, concerned with the possibility of catching something. So we, we really kind of just stayed uh, close to home, went to the lake, you know. I, too, actually hit up a lake last week. It was 93 degrees in Ohio on Tuesday, so I found myself up at Craig Beach and socially distancing swimming. Mm. Nice. It's nice to get in the water. And I didn't get burned, which was a nice touch, too, because usually my snow white ass fries something serious. <laughs> I'm not just white, Tony. I am saltine white. I can I can gather that. I'm part German, part English in my background. Neither one of those countries tan very well. So anytime I can go to the beach and not get burned, it was a good trip to the beach. 
All right, so rather than focus on the pay-per-view that just happened, like we traditionally do to start the show, I feel like there's a couple of things from this episode of SmackDown that need discussed before the pay-per-view. Therefore, I'd like to start there, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, that's fine. So they build Edge and Orton as the greatest wrestling match ever. It wasn't even the best wrestling match of the week. AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan's Intercontinental title match absolutely killed it on SmackDown. 38 minutes factoring in commercials. And those two put on a master class in traditional wrestling. Tony, you actually did the review for 411 this week for SmackDown. What did you think of the match? And were you surprised that they got as much time as they did for it? Okay, so, you know, one of the biggest issues that you have when you have someone like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles is there's this preconceived notion that it's going to be amazing. Um, So you kind of set yourself up for that, right? And it's very hard, unfortunately, for wrestlers to not only um, fulfill that, you know, wish that you have or that expectation, but to kind of do it in a way that's not, overbearing, especially in the WWE, where it's almost, I mean, they literally had a pay-per-view where the main event was called the greatest match of all time, like the greatest match ever. Like, that's how horrible they are at subtlety. So when you when you have AJ versus Brian, um, you expect it to be good, but you one thing that a really good wrestler can do and that they did do is they took your expectation and they said, I know what you want. I'm going to give you what I think is good, and it's going to be way better than you could ever think. And that's what happened, because we even if we go into it thinking this is going to be an amazing match, they still won us over. You know, they started with the slow wrestling, with the chain wrestling. They started trying to, you know, one-up one another. And I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't know if it's just me digging a little too deep, but it seemed like every single time they came back from the commercial, it's like they, they slowed it down again so you could catch back up. Oftentimes, we know a commercial's coming because of the way the match is laid out. They're going to tangle here a little bit. There's going to be a little bit of action here. They broke it up because they had to. But what AJ and Brian did, and, and I, I, I want to say it was by design because they're that good, is they said, okay, we're back from break. Let's catch everybody up and then go back into the action. So instead of getting that chopped up, the commercial kind of messes with the entire match, we got a – a nice little reprieve before, you know, jumping right back into it. And that's that's really hard to do, especially considering every match has a, you know, are on on TV has commercials. So, I mean, a testament to them, just, just amazing wrestling all around, amazing usage of the commercial breaks because they had to do it. I was, I was impressed. Harry was so impressed that he muted himself. Are you a little surprised they didn't save this match for the Backlash pay-per-view instead? No, I mean, I mean, it it, it already is obvious enough that you they had it in the same week as the well, technically the same week, the same wrestling week as you know them touting it as the greatest. It's just almost a a slap in the face. I mean, no, they should. I don't think they should have put it on the pay-per-view. And it's also nice to get it on a on a Friday night. I think that it was a smart idea to put this match on SmackDown, actually, because I feel like this is a match that 
while it may not necessarily draw the casual fan in, because, yeah, Brian had a big run a couple of years back, but he's nowhere near as hot with the casual crowd as he used to be. The wrestling, air quotes on an audio podcast, fan base is going to hear AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan and be like, oh, shit, I need to watch that. And watch it, we did. We ate it up. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is how we opened SmackDown. Well, not opened, opened, but the the match that opened SmackDown. Because we'll explore Jeff Hardy channeling his inner Shawn Michaels here in a few seconds in quick hits. But the other thing that I wanted to discuss with you is, is the New Day versus Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura match. You know, I feel like we have this conversation every couple months in repeated ad nauseum. It looks like Cesaro and Shinsuke are in line for a push. What happened to Cesaro and Shinsuke's push? It looks like Shinsuke and Cesaro are in line for a push. What happened to their... Is this just another stop-start, or do you think they actually have to do something with him, especially with the lack of depth in the tag division over on SmackDown? I mean, I think the answer to both of your questions is yes. This is just another stop-start, and yes, they need to do something with him. Um, I, I feel bad for Cesaro. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure the dude can go another 10, 15 years. Who am I to stop him? But, you know, you might get to that point where it's just not – you miss the boat. And if you miss the boat on someone like Cesaro, it's just like, what a damn shame. He's going to go on that list of, of people that, you know, never got the chance, the, a list that, you know, we talk about all the time, certain people that never got their, sh- their chance at the big title. And that's unfortunate. If I were to ask you who's the greatest wrestler never to be WWE heavyweight champion, what's your answer? Uh – Shit, I don't know. That that's not something I can just say on a whim. Um, I've given this question I mean, a lot of thought before, and I think I have my answer. Because technically, yeah. him buying the title for all of about three days doesn't count. I'm going with Ted DiBiase. <laughs> yeah, I'd probably lean towards Mister Perfect. The conversation we could pick up at another time. Preferably when I've given you time to think about it, actually. Yeah, assuming so I'll you, think about you know it. How they, <laughs> so you know how they say the cycle of wrestling angles is seven years, Tony? And that after seven years, everything is fair game again? Is that what they say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't listen to whoever says that. But sure, yeah, okay. Maybe, Let's go with it. Maybe the apple juice to the face of Seamus could have been left in 2006. Oh, man. I totally forgot about that. Um, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe I purposefully forgot about it. Uh, well, first of all, the uh, the West Coast feed, uh, I didn't know this because I watch it uh, via stream, but the West Coast feed cut all of that out. Um, so, look, you so know did the how much on... fun I yeah, Real quick, you know how so much fun the... I have tearing things apart. Yeah, the replay did too. Yeah, the replay on the Fox Sports app did as well. Wow. Um, okay, none of this made any sense. First of all, there's no rapid testing. And where did he receive the results that he said the, res- the, the results are back in? From where? where? Where did you get these results? Second of all, how much piss did Jeff Hardy supposedly have in him? Third, the jar that he brought out was not empty. It was There was water in it. And they must have added some type of food coloring or fucking crystal light to make it look like he peed. But there was so much, like so much. And who, what wrestler would want to wrestle after a wrestler throw piss all over the mat? It's just, it was more crap. 
And I just feel like maybe maybe there's a board in the writer's room that, you know, that's just like where the shittiest storylines go and every show has to have one, whether it's Jeff Hardy's third redemption story or um uh what 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 didn't I like on Raw? There's something. I don't know, but probably something Nia Jax. But just really, really dumb, like eye roll inducing where it doesn't make any sense and you can't even ask me to like lower my expectations because even with lowered expectations, it's still a really shitty segment or piss, pissy segment, whichever. I, I feel like the only thing to say about this segment is that you're in a lot of trouble. Mm. Don't piss me off. <laughs> you think Jeff Jarrett wrote this segment? <laughs> I don't even, I don't even, I don't even, that's the thing. I don't even know what to apply to who, nor do I, like, want to. Uh, pop myself with that one. All right, let's move on. Uh, we open with a, we have a triple threat segment where there are balloons and everything to celebrate Bailey and Sasha becoming two-time tag team champions. They're interrupted by Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss, and then later by the Iconics on the video screen who point out that the they laid out Bailey and Sasha on Raw, and if they didn't want to get laid out a second time, they should probably not turn their backs on on Alexa and Nikki. Sure enough, Bailey and Sasha turn around from watching the video screen, and Sasha and Alexa and Nikki take them out of the ring. I just want to say that Sasha has been killing it with every single outfit she wears. Damn. We'll talk about outfits in a second because there was one tonight on Raw that stood out to me, but we'll move, we'll move on for now. Uh, Matt Riddle's debut is next week on SmackDown. Reportedly, Kurt Angle has turned down an offer to manage Matt Riddle, so your quasi-fantasy booking almost became reality, Tony. Yeah, it's a damn shame that it's not going to because now, I don't know, just don't have as much faith in it now as I did with the possibility of Angle being involved. I think Riddle was probably put on SmackDown to keep him away from Lesnar with Lesnar being on Raw. Because the reports are that those two have very legitimate heat with each other. I mean, I don't, I don't know, nor do I really care. Also, there's talk that Riddle's contract is up at the end of this year, and moving him up to the main roster in an attempt to help him make main roster money. Although, comparatively speaking, with no touring right now, what's main roster money really? In an attempt to get Riddle to stay, because they feel like Riddle could have one foot out the door already. <clears throat> It's possible. I mean, that would mean that they see him as marketable, and if that's what the, if that's the case, then maybe they will they will put a little more energy into you know boosting his profile. Guess we'll have to wait and see on that one. Six man tag team main event. Apparently, Dolph Ziggler's still a thing. He teams with Miz and Morrison to take on the returning Tucker, Otis, and Braun Strowman. You know how we feel about Nia Jax on Raw. I am almost to that point with Braun Strowman. 
I do <laughs> not care about anything Strowman does. <clears throat> yeah, I think what bothers me the most is the, the you know, well, it's a horrible time to be a champion, you know, and Drew's making the best of it. Braun just seems so for the kids, and I just don't think that kids are watching anymore, and I could be wrong, but I, we've talked about this before where maybe 10, 12 years ago their target was, you know, it was the PG area. Their target were the kids. I watched a video recently with John Cena, and you could hear the divisiveness in the crowd, right? I don't remember getting that with Roman. I couldn't hear. It wasn't, it was booze a lot. And the people that were cheering were, they were just cheering because, it's, you know, it's Roman Reigns. But it wasn't that kid voice or that lady voice. You, you remember the crowd was very, very strong, deep, bellowing booze versus childish, you know, kind of soft-spoken yays. And it was very, very obvious that there were kids in that audience and they were buying shit. Now, I'm not saying that's completely gone, but those kids, that was 10, 15 years ago. They grew up and then they went away. They didn't stay. And I think that's one of the biggest issues that the WWE has is that they didn't realize that they weren't creating lifers. They were creating minimal, um, you know, fans. So when you look at Braun, he's like, he just comes off as very, very targeted for kids from lifting the the ambulances and the trucks and all that shit that he does to Braun Express. Like it's, I don't know. It's, it's just so unfortunately when we watch it, we're looking for the Braun that we wanted a while ago. That Braun is gone. Now we got just straight up, you know, get these hands and I'm going to lift up trucks. And then Miz and Morrison, as, as funny as they can be and as great as that music video was, I don't think we want to see them like this either. You know what I think the problem with, with Strowman is, is he's been so homogenized. He's been so pasteurized that he's, he's turned basic. Everything that made yeah. Strowman stick out originally has, is gone now in, in favor of generic bland baby face 1.63. 1, 1. Yeah, good old Braun. And, and you were mentioning... he gets another run. You were mentioning the fact that they're focusing him towards kids here. The difference is, is when they were focusing towards Cena and Roman towards kids they were able to put people in the stands in order to buy a shit ton of those, that merchandise in order to justify focusing on Cena and Roman towards kids here. Right now you're trying to push a product with Sherman, and based on what I've seen, he does not really move numbers in terms of merchandise. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why they're doing what they're doing. They're creating merchandise for him. You know, he wasn't a unstoppable train two weeks ago. It's just Roman Express thing. So fucking stupid. <laughs> homogenized, man. That's my official term for him from now on on this show. He is homogenized Strowman. Overall show rating for SmackDown, Tony? Uh, I think I gave it like a 6.5 or something. I think I'm going to stick with that. My mind really didn't change. I'm going seven and a half, and the main reason I'm up that high is because two thirds of the sh- or a third of the show was AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan, and those two fucking killed it. <clears throat> yeah, it was a solid match. And, and the opening tag team match gave me a little bit of hope for the future. Cesaro once again, although I'm sure I'm bound and destined to have my heart broken once more.
How much of backlash did you actually get through, Tony? Um, well, I, I think I told you I stopped uh, after Ms. and Morrison lost, and then I had to get to work. All right. So you haven't seen Lashley versus MVP or Lashley versus McIntyre. Correct. You have you haven't seen the clusterfuck that was the Street Profits versus the Viking Raiders, although they did a pretty decent enough job of showing you anything worth seeing on Raw tonight. And you haven't uh, seen Orton and Edge. I do want to get your thoughts on Orton and Edge when you have the chance. So we'll open up the show next week with that. Sure. All right, but for what you did see at Backlash overall, what did you think? I mean, it's a typical WWE fair where the wrestling is, you know, if not average, above average. But the stories leading into it just didn't give you that, you know, for the most part, boom. Like, you got a couple of them. Orton and Edge, the story's there, but they kind of hindered it with the the label and the title that they gave it. Um, And I just, I'm not interested in a handicap match for for the, you know, big belt. I'm not interested in a lot of handicap matches, period. Um, <clears throat> Sasha is Sasha, so win or lose, I was going to love it. Um, but, I mean, it's hard to give it a rating even with just what I saw. Yeah, we're not going to do any kind of official final reaction here due to the fact that um, you haven't seen the full show. We'll give an official overall rating when you have a chance to see the full show here. Um, were you surprised that Sheamus actually beat Jeff Hardy in Jeff's first pay-per-view singles match back? I mean, I don't care. Like, I didn't give a shit about just I, – I mean, the match wasn't good. Like, I, I mean, the match wasn't bad. I'm sorry. Um, the quality was there. I just – I don't you, – you really got to question these motives unless they're planning on dragging this out to an extreme rules match, which I'm pretty sure they are. Um, the redemption story in any book or movie or TV show is that the hero gets redemption. If you have your hero lose – or, like, you know, rebound, um, it just kind of comes off flat. And then you ask yourself, like, again, when the severity of something, this guy framed you, you could have gone to jail for a very long time, and the most you're going to do is have a wrestling match with him, and then you lose. Does that forgive him? Does that mean that Sheamus won, you know, in the battle of men? Like, it just, I don't know. Not interested. What about the what was the other oh well we could kind of use this to segue into tonight's episode of Raw here. What about the uh Oscar Nia Jack double count out finish? Were you surprised that they ran a like I know that the era of pay per view is more or less over in the WWE, so doing these bullshit uh draw finishes, these double count outs, double disqualifications on pay per view maybe isn't as egregious as it used to be back when people were paying 40, 50, and sometimes 60 bucks for these pay-per-views. But are you okay with the double count-out on pay-per-view, or do you think that this should have been a decisive finish given what we have happened tonight on Raw between these two? And we can kind of segue this right into the Raw match as well. Well, it feels like this feud isn't over. They're not going to be ending it anytime soon. So I can't get mad at a double count-out simply because the story is not over. Um, and we've long since gone away from the idea that the story ends at a pay-per-view. That just doesn't really happen anymore. Um, and if it does, it just picks right up for whatever reason the next night. Or they sell shit for Monday as opposed to the pay-per-view itself. So I can't really get mad about it. I didn't have a reaction, mainly because Nia Jax is Nia Jax. I will say that they had a relatively good match. 
Uh, they played their roles correctly. Asuka, you know, being the plucky underdog, but, you know, not being afraid either. Being very focused on submissions, trying to end the match quickly. Naya just using her body, her strength, you know, her, her weight to her advantage. Um, so, and tonight was kind of more of the same where it didn't really, um, like, it's Naya as the big bad is not ineffective. It's just I wish there was another big bad that isn't Nia Jax. <laughs> yeah, I think this angle would work a lot better back when we originally saw it with Karma before she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Because Karma, Awesome Kong, Karma, whatever you want to call her, was one of those one of those bigger women in wrestling that was actually super athletic and could work. Whereas. And we've seen pretty much the best of what Nia is capable before, that she just doesn't have it in the ring. She does not translate well as a consistent in-ring performer. Her her ring work is inconsistent at best, mediocre at best. She doesn't really have that next level that you really need in order to pull off that monster character, if you know what I mean. Like like what a like what a Vader or like a Bam Bam Bigelow had. I mean, I would argue she doesn't have the first level, let alone the next level. <clears throat> but it, I I don't so I I hate to speak on people that I don't know. I I you know I try to stay away from insulting her as a performer. I try to stay away from using you know any type of fat jokes because I just find that to be low hanging fruit. But it does oh, come off like there's not a lot of interest in growing, you know, and as a, as a person who manages a lot of people, if I see that in someone, this lack of a yearning to grow and be a better performer, to be safer, to be smarter, then it kind of turns me off and I could be wrong. Um, And again, I, I hate talking about someone, the person, not the performance. Um, But I just, I wish I saw some type of like energy towards growth. You know, it just doesn't come off that way. Well, I take you back to what we were discussing back before she came back originally. I know that was a lot of backs. But we were discussing her while she was away, and we were talking about the fact that she she had been posting pictures online, and it looked like she was losing a good amount of weight, and she was in really good shape, and it looked like she was actually trying to put some effort into improving her in-ring game. And then she came back, and she's basically the same Nia Jax that she was before she got injured in the first place, just with a better push. Yeah. I hated the finish tonight. Like, I would have been better with the disqualification finish and the referee ringing the bell for the shove than I would have been for him quick counting Nia, because that gives Nia an out and an excuse for another rematch. Yeah, well, that's why they did it. But what bugs me is, like, it's uh, you're making the referee a character. And I know we've seen this guy before. I know he's done things before. And he's he's the father of a, you know, former WWE tag team champion. So he's got some, you know, storyline clout. But it's just it's inconsistent with what a referee is supposed to be. So it kind of diminishes the role for the sake of continuing a story that could have gone any number of ways and they chose it to to do it this way. It's it's just, I don't know. I don't want to say sloppy writing, but kind of lazy. It's Bailey's birthday. And Tasha's there, too. 
No, no, no. It's Sasha's day, and Bailey just happens to be there. Earlier in the show, the Iconics defeat Liv Morgan and Natalia, and apparently they're going to tease a Natalia Lana pairing, which I have zero fucking interest in. But the Iconics then proceed to call out the current tag, women's tag team champions, Bailey and Sasha. Bailey and Sasha taking advantage of the fact that the women's tag team champions can go onto any show that they want to, actually using that rule to move the belts around and make them seem like they matter, show up on Raw tonight to celebrate Bailey's birthday. And they are confronted by the Iconics, which sets up the women's tag team title match for next week. Were you surprised that they quoted the uh, the whole pouting on the hotel floor thing with the Iconics, or is that kind of modus operandi for them with the uh, the low-hanging fruit that they usually swing for? Yeah, I'm not surprised by it. I, I heard it. It didn't really affect me one way or the other. It's just, you know, they've talked about it before. They've brought it up before, so... Sasha, bias aside, what's your intrigue level for the women's tag title match next week? <clears throat> I will say that the Iconics have, uh, you know, like I was just talking about Naya, how it kind of feels like she isn't really interested in growing. I've got the complete opposite to say about the Iconics. It looks like there is a legitimate attempt to be better, and that just speaks volumes. So it comes off as, like, entertaining because at the end of the day, we're wrestling fans, and to see wrestlers grow is, is really, really fun. So watching the Iconics, like, get their shit in, but also try to work around it. It's like they're finally given an opportunity to show what they, what they have and where um, at least I'm willing to receive it, you know? Because, I mean, I've never seen Billy Kay on the Indies. I didn't even know what her finisher was. Of course, Harry had to throw it out there because I didn't know what the hell it was. I just thought it was, you know, <laughs> big-ass boot. Um, uh, but... But, like, even that, the fact that I didn't know is, is not so much me being uneducated as much as it's just them not getting the proper spotlight because they've been in the spotlight before. But now we're giving them a little bit more time, a little bit more effort, and um, I think it's working out. Um, it's still very a very, very, uh, like, minuscule roster for female tag teams. They really need to work that out. But what they don't need to do is randomly throw two people together. Because it just, it never, I don't know where they get the idea that that works. Like, it just doesn't work. The main point of throwing Liv and Natalia together was to give Natalia something to bitch about later in the backstage segment with Lana. Speaking of Lana, do you want to go ahead and get into that segment with MVP and lastly with the I want a divorce thing now since we're kind of talking about her? I just want to say that the best line on this entire, sh- on this entire show was MVP calling Lana a thought. Oh, yeah, I for sure. fucking lost it. MVP is the MVP of Raw tonight. And I hope that's not a spoiler for everybody, but it's just... It is. I can't not give it to him because <laughs> the dude's on fire, man. And you know why? Because, man, that sounds like MVP. That sounds like that's MVP. Like, you know, and how, that's, that's just wrestling 101. Whoever you are, just turn it up to 101 and just be that and I feel like that's MVP he's not acting I mean he is but you know it's I don't know it just feels real it feels good it it feels right Lana going through her second divorce in in eight months clearly this segment needed more Rusev I miss Rusev 
I just I you don't know whatever. I want her. It's Rusev there, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought so. Um, wherever she goes, I hope she's happy. I just don't want her here anymore. I'm I'm tired of it. I don't. But it looks like they're setting up some kind of a pairing with her and with her and Natalia, maybe making a run at the tag team title. Oh, God. That was pretty much my reaction when I saw that segment unfold myself. Yeah. Uh, not interested. So backstage it's announced that MVP and Lashley get another crack at Drew McIntyre as they take on Drew McIntyre and R-Truth. Originally, there was a confrontation backstage which set this up as a winner-take-all... Sorry, hiccups. As a winner-take-all match where both the WWE and the 24-7 championship would be on the line. However, R-Truth went to management. I'm not sure who management is, but let's go with it. And got it so that the match was only for Drew McIntyre's title. Because, of course, Drew did. In the end, it doesn't even matter. Shout out Chester Bennington. Rest in peace. McIntyre pins MVP with, or excuse me, McIntyre's about to pin MVP with a Claymore, but then decides to make the tag and let Truth get the pin with the rocket launcher at 9 minutes and 12 seconds. Um, and our truth is just a gem of a person, you know, <laughs> the dude's so great. See, I, I found him to be very hit and miss tonight. Some of it landed, some of it didn't. Yeah. You know, you can't give our truth too much time because then the jokes fall on themselves, you know? Um, but when he, when he's like the affable, like, you know, little sidekick who's just trying to do right. It, it comes off as, as kind of cute. And then Drew showing actual concern, like, man, I might lose my belt. And then I like that his the entire match, he's worried about losing, right? But once he hits his Claymore, he's, like, so sure that his move is the finisher that he knows it's going to win. And I thought that was a nice little touch. Because at first I was like, oh, now you don't care? But then I'm like, well, it's his finisher. Like, why would he care? That ends it all. So um, Not to mention, I thought it was a not to mention he saw Truth run Lashley into the steps as well. Right. So it's, I, I, I enjoyed everything that had to do with that, with the exception of the presence of the ninjas. Poor Tazawa. Would it be insensitive to say cruiserweights matter? I mean, I guess, yeah, in a way, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's not even. It's not even that far. It's really just like we're in a day and age where um, even being slightly racist is not. It's not taboo. It's just. It's an easy target, you know. So it's like, it's not that it's not funny or it doesn't have any comedic value. It just doesn't fit right now. So when I see it, I just roll my eyes because I'm like, that's not even funny. Like, I don't see any comedic value in this. And Tozawa, you know, bless his heart, is giving it his all because he gets some TV time. But it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you have this 
you know, little mini group of ninjas, and they get their asses handed to them. So there, there's automatically no threat. There's not a threat at all, none. And then you got this really big dude who, I mean, you, you can count on one hand how many times a big dude debuts and is good. Um, all this is to bring Big Show back for a night, and if it's not, then, I mean, I, I just don't want to see it anyway. It, it doesn't interest me. A couple of things to touch on with that statement. One, the, uh, the, the the tall black ninja guy is an NXT talent. Jordan, I'm not even going to try to butcher this last name. Right. Two, I guess Big Show showing up the way that he showed up tonight was relatively harmless. I mean, it makes more sense for him doing this at this point in his career than him having a match for the WWE Championship against Drew McIntyre. Uh-huh. My condolences to your little brother on that statement. <laughs> and three, the thing with Tozawa is is that you have the opportunity to be around and catch some of Tozawa's run with Pro Wrestling Gorilla. Tozawa's a guy that his fighting spirit, his heart, his determination... It is not that of a traditional cruiserweight. He is able to get that that crowd reaction, that group of people behind him because he is so high energy, because he is so on the edge of his seat. Mr. High Tension for a reason, you know? And instead, we're breaking breaking down into lowest common denominator by, oh, he's Asian, he must have ninjas. It, It just doesn't... We've never seen this. It's never come out this way. I mean, so it's not like, it's just not in his character. That's one of the reasons why I don't like it. Um, We've never been shown that this is a part of him. And it can't just kind of come out of nowhere. And then lastly, like, who's going to let a bunch of random ninjas run around? Like, just logically, who's going to, what? Right? And then they tie it into this story that I already dislike with the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders trying to one-up one another for, like, two months without realizing the one thing that they need to do is have a match, and we're finally getting that, and it just makes me wonder, are people interested or not? I don't know. I know that I'm I'm damn near losing interest. Um, The only thing that keeps me going is that the fact that Montez Ford just loses zero energy. Like, the guy is always on. Like, you can't turn him off. And (laughs) and I, I just, I love that about him. You know who isn't always on? his wife, Bianca Belair, because apparently she can't get on Raw now. Yeah, and you know what? She was such a great fold to add to them. Real quick, one of the things that I I wanted to mention about the uh, the Tizawa Ninja thing before we move on here is I know you don't necessarily listen to it a lot, but I'm sure a lot of the people who are checking out this podcast are probably other podcast listeners as well. And myself, one of my favorite podcasts is something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. And there was a thing, an Ask Bruce Anything episode, and they talked about Quang. Now, I don't know how much of your 90s WWF memories are still intact, but do you remember Quang at all? Mm, I don't think so. Quang was a character portrayed by Savio Vega. That was like, he was almost like a ninja. And they were talking about ninjas and stuff. And Conrad turns to Bruce because Bruce is back with the WWE at this point and says to him, 
So you're telling me fucking ninjas are going to show up on SmackDown tonight, aren't you? I swear to God, if ninjas show up, Bruce. And now with the reports out that Bruce is taking over Monday Night Raw as well with Paul Heyman stepping down as the, the head of creative for Monday Night Raw, somewhere you know Conrad's having a conniption fit about there being fucking ninjas back in the WWE. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not. It, 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 it's not even, at this point, it's just a lack of creativity. There's, I just don't see any value in the story that's being shown. Uh, real quick, to the other, earlier point that you made about R-Truth, I think the best thing that I can say in that regard is overexposure is R-Truth's enemy. Mm-hmm. He is good in small doses. However, if you keep him around, the joke wears thin quick. Like, take the Royal Rumble spot he had a couple of years ago where he thought it was a Money in the Bank ladder match. Fucking hilarious. <laughs> and then as soon as he got up to the top and climbed to the ladder, they picked his ass right out of the Rumble. Short dose, good for a good chuckle, on you go. Perfect usage. A series of five segments over the course of a three-hour episode of television? Not so much. And I like Truth. I really do. I'm amazed that he's able to keep himself in such phenomenal shape at pushing damn near 50 years old. Yup. All right, let's move on. So, you know how I mentioned that I wanted to discuss somebody's outfit? Yeah. Zelina Vega looked like she's really pissed off that the BDSM parades in San Francisco have been canceled recently. Hmm. Good God. Yeah, she's killing it. You know who's not killing it, though? Her charges. As Andrade lost his U.S. title rematch, call it if you want to, on the kickoff show last night at Backlash. And then tonight on Raw, Angel Garza gave Kevin Owens his win back as Garza gets caught with a stunner for the victory after Garza and Andrade get into an argument. Zelina storms off during the course of the match while they're arguing and then comes back out after the match while they're still arguing. This team has been together for about four months, Tony. Clearly it's time to break them up, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a big fan of breaking people up like that. Uh, I'm hoping that this is a motivation to actually become a tag team because it feels like that might be the better option for both of them. Otherwise, they're going to kind of get lost in the shuffle. Um, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to from that. But I don't, I mean, who's to say? Don't fantasy book, Tony. I'll hold you to it. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's, you know, WWE is not very subtle. So it's most likely just what's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> You know, if you close your if you close your eyes, the light a naked truth reveals. Okay. I wish you'd have brought back the old music for tonight, though. Christian, Christian, at last you're on your own. Cause Edge tore his bicep, tricep, mm. whatever he tore something. <clears throat> the point being that. Christian back on Raw tonight, and in the opening segment with Orton after Orton was gloating about winning the match at Backlash. Spoiler alert, sorry. No, no. Where 
Edge tore his tricep in the process of the match and is going to be out for six to eight months. So Christian comes in as somewhat of a placeholder, I suppose, in order to get us to the next step in Orton's saga, just due to the fact that I'm sure there was probably more planned with Edge and Orton that they couldn't go to because of the injury that Edge sustained. It leads to them creating an unsanctioned match with a series of backstage segments of people trying to either talk Christian into or talk Christian out of having the match against Orton later on in the show. Ric Flair comes down and tells Christian to his face once again that he shouldn't do it. Christian says he has to. The bell rings, and the Nature Boy is still the dirtiest Orton fan in the game. Hitting Orton square in the balls, leading to a punt kick for a three count, and then Chris Orton immediately showing concern as medical as the medical staff looks after Christian. All right, let's handle this in doses here. First, what did you think of the opening segment with Orton and Christian's confrontation inside of the ring? Um, you know, Christian just, the boy hits different, you know. He just came off so believable. And, and he just, it really shows the distinct divide between Christian's time um, in the sun and what we're currently getting. Um, a lot of the promos now and in the last five years, they're just, they're not nearly as strong as this, you know. I just don't, I don't. I'm not being taken in. With Christian, it just seems so real. And it could be because the storyline that's presented is more of a realistic one than a, you know, within the show. Um, but I think it's more than that. I think that um, Christian's just better. So so I loved it. And, and Orton being Orton, you know, he's he's still killing it. He's still doing everything that he should be doing. So it was. A, I think it was a solid – everything that involved them was great. Truly the only scary thing was Ric Flair – um, you know, it's one of those things seeing your legends get older. It's just like, mm, maybe, maybe, maybe the less we see of him, the better. The Big Show segment backstage with Christian and the Flair segment backstage with Christian, both of them bringing out different points. Flair to the negative show to the point of, if you'd have talked to me like that, I already know what I would be doing. I would be introducing him to my face, kind of trying right. to fire Christian up in order to go out there and whoop Orton's ass. I like the idea of the angel on one shoulder, devil on the other with the backstage segments there. I really didn't need Flair physically getting involved. Well, yeah, I don't know. It it makes me feel like we're going to see more of Flair, which is not something I necessarily need, but it all makes sense. And so you got to give him credit for that. It's not shocking at all. It makes sense. It, it, um, works with the storyline and it could be this could be I, I don't know i don't know what christian's you know health is or anything but man if we somehow squeeze a match out of this from him man i'd love it our former co-hostess with the most assist would love it too christian is her all-time favorite wrestler nice I want to talk about the character work that Orton did after the punt. I actually really dug Orton's character work towards the end of the show tonight. We kind of talked about it when it happened with Edge as well, because Orton was kind of walking that line of, you pushed me to this point, but I regretted that things got that far with Edge as well. And he talks about that to an extent as we go off the air on Raw tonight, saying that I didn't want to be the one to end things with Edge, but I had to for his own good. And now I had to do it to you as well, because if it's either going to be you or me, it's going to be you. Um, 
So I just want to. Yeah, I mean, Orton's been killing the it, character work. Yeah, it went a little long, but it was it was pretty good. Orton's he, Orton's fucking nuts, and you believe him to be nuts. So it even it's it's gotten to the point even where if he doesn't make a lot of sense, you kind of like, well, I mean, he's he's fucking crazy. So you <laughs> you can't can't really expect him to make much sense, you know? Two more things to discuss from tonight's episode of Raw. Do you want to hit the match first, or do you want to hit the segment first? I'll leave it up to you. Just pick one, Tony. Match. Apollo Crews and Shelton Benjamin, they kind of tease potentially Apollo either aligning with MVP or being cost the United States Championship by MVP. Which one of those do you think would make for a more compelling story? Um, So I wrote in in my, I think I wrote in the comments, not so much in the report, because I got to be somewhat politically correct in the the report. I don't like the idea of MVP having Apollo underneath him, because I don't feel like it totally fits what we've seen from Apollo in the last few weeks. Um, I don't think he's hurting for a manager like some people do. I think we're finally getting to see him flourish. And putting him with MVP, I think, would be a hindrance to his um, capabilities because we haven't seen it all yet. So I'm not – I'm not. I'm really – I'd rather they did it. I mean, really, the only tie that I see, and this is what I, what I wrote in the report, but, um, or in the comments, but not in the report, is that he's black. That's it. I don't see any other reason. Now, from MVP's perspective, that makes sense because he probably wants a brotherhood. He wants unity, and he wants the black man to do better, right? But Apollo doesn't strike me as the type that would fall in line with that message, whereas Lashley does because he severely needed uh, – he needed his career to turn a particular way. Apollo has done all of this by himself, so he doesn't need MVP. And I just think that if they put them together, it's just going to kind of – it's not going to – it'll do more harm than good, I think. And that's mainly because they're not good at writing. Do you know who I think would benefit more from having MVP services than Apollo? His opponent tonight, Shelton Benjamin. Yeah, well, that's assuming Shelton even wants to – you know, he, he's doing his thing. He's coaching and all that. I'm not saying, you know, keep him where he's at. But, yeah, that, see, even that makes a little more sense. It's like this. It's like a lost soul looking for some guidance, and MVP is just really good at it. You know, from a kayfabe standpoint, he's getting matches. He's getting the matches that are necessary, so that well, it, it, it was, works to to their advantage. And it was literally the story with Lashley when MVP swooped in too. Is that Lashley was on a losing streak? Lashley was fighting the doldrums of having no direction at all when MVP came in. Shelton Benjamin barely gets on television most weeks. So if Mm -hmm. this were a situation where Shelton would want to be a more active participant on the Monday Night Raw roster, then I feel like MVP would be an excellent mouthpiece for him because we know Shelton can go athletically inside of the ring, but promos have never been Benjamin's strong suit, so you could have MVP to talk for Shelton. Right. All right. We close with the segment then, and that would be Seth Rollins, Ray Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio. Rollins is inside of the ring. He is about to address Dominic being at the building. Ray pops up via Skype, apparently, on the Tron. And 
While Ray and Seth are having a conversation, Dominic comes through the crowd and proceeds to lay a beating on Seth Rollins before he is chased away, but successfully Ninja escapes from both Murphy and Austin Theory. Two-part question. One, do you like the fact that Dominic was made to look as wily as he was tonight? Two, do you think this leads to a potential in-ring return for Mysterio to team with Dominic to take on Seth and Seth's followers? Um, I I don't want to uh, downplay the effect that he had when he when Dominic came to the ring, but I will say that I was kind of waiting for a little bit more, like one specific move that you know showed you he was taking it seriously outside of a clothesline to the back of the head. But the more that I think about it, he's pissed off. He's not looking to wrestle Seth. He's looking to beat Seth's ass. So I can't expect him to, like, run off the apron and front flip onto Seth Rollins because that's more for show, not for revenge. So I didn't really get bothered by it. I like the idea. I know that he's got a hell of an uphill battle because he's Rey Mysterio's son. But I'm really, really interested to see him carve his own legacy and, like, I mean, it's it's a debuting wrestler. That's almost always fun. So if he's been training like we, you know, we know that he has been, then we may be seeing something great here, you know? And I think just to the point of what you just said there with the regards to him doing any kind of fancy move to Seth tonight, I think that it would have lost the effect of him actually attacking Seth the way that he did. I think it made more of a point by him just going on the attack with that clothesline and mounted punches from behind than it would have been had he tried to, like, drop kick Seth into the ropes and go for a 619 or something. Because, like you said, Dominic was out for revenge because Seth tried to blind his father. <clears throat> yeah, I just I, – I, I, I guess I can wait and see. But I just assume when, you know, he said an eye for an eye that, you know, we were going to get a little bit more – than what we got. But it wasn't bad. Well, I think that there probably would have been more of a beatdown if Seth didn't have the goons to protect him. And that takes me to the second part of my question. Um, obviously, if Mysterio resigns and this leads to Ray and, and Seth Rollins again, but do you think that there's potential for a Ray and Dominic versus maybe Seth and either Murphy or Austin Theory in a tag match is kind of a payoff here? Yeah, they're probably going to go for a three-on-two for Extreme Rules or some shit. Um, <clears throat> um, I, I'm all for it. I don't care. I, 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 I'm not going to write the debut for this kid. I, I want to see what they can come up with. Um, but, you know, this is kind of a testament to the trust that they have for Dominic because this is Seth Rollins. He's still a very big name. And for Dominic, a, you know, not even technically a WWE superstar, to get one up on Seth Rollins is kind of cool. It'll be interesting to see where they go forward with this one. This is one of the more compelling stories on Raw, I think, on a week-in and week-out basis. And you have other movable parts in this situation as well that you could kind of interchange as well. Even if Ray doesn't come back as an in-ring competitor, you could go three-on-three at Extreme Rules with um, Seth, Austin Theory and Murphy against Alistair Black, Dominic, and Umberto Carrillo. Mm-hmm. That officially wraps us up for this episode of Raw and takes us to our final 
reaction for the week, both SmackDown and Raw. We already gave SmackDown, you gave it a six and a half, I gave it a seven and a half. I was a little bit more generous because of the high level of entering content. What's your overall show rating for tonight's episode of Raw? Um, Raw, I gave it a seven. There was nothing um, bad, I guess you could say, outside of like, you know, just more Nia Jax. However, there was not a lot of wrestling. And the wrestling that we did have was incredibly average. Um, uh, we just didn't get a lot of in-ring action. And, and that kind of makes me interested in what you thought because you're big on the in-ring action. I think we only got, what, maybe five matches. Two of them were under three minutes. Uh, it was definitely a storyline-heavy show. See, that's actually kind of where we're going to differ here because you went a little bit lower on SmackDown, which was more heavy in-ring product, whereas I went a little bit higher. Tonight on Raw, you're a little bit higher than I am. I gave it a six because of the lack of actual in-ring bell-to-bell content like you discussed. And this has been kind of a uh, kind of a recurring theme on this show for us, Tony, in that you tend to, you tend to prefer shows that are more storyline-driven that tell a more consistent story from start to finish. Whereas I tend to prefer episodes of Raw and or SmackDown that are more in-ring driven, more wrestling driven, rather than focusing on the sports rather than the entertainment. Yeah, yeah, that that that. I mean, that's kind of who we are. <laughs> I think that's kind of why the dichotomy of the show works as well as it does, because we come at it from a different perspective. You look from you look at things from more of an entertainment perspective, whereas I look from things from more of an in ring perspective. Oh, I've heard many many of my friends that have listened. They they're like we you and I are night and day, both in just what we expect, what we look for, what we. I really feel that if we were the same person, this podcast would not have survived this long. Like, there's a reason why we are good at this, and it's because we have differing opinions. It's the reason why me and Greg were, were so good at it. We just, I mean, well, Greg is a little bit more aggressive, um, but it was highly unlikely that I would ever agree with him. He's also kind of a troll. So. <laughs> you know what else he is? Nerd. I hope, I hope Anderson and Gallus land on their feet. Good dudes. All right. Anyway, um, <laughs> favorite bachelor moment from the week. Uh, let's see. This one's obvious, Tony. Come on. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, AJ versus Brian for sure. They just man, everything was great. Yeah, seconded without a shadow of a doubt. The best thing on WWE television, maybe in the last four months since Mania. It may not have been four months, but it sure as fuck feels like it. A Greg Watchery for the week, Tony. Um, just the whole ninja thing. I'm just not. I'm not. I'm not for it. I think it's um, just. It's just not good. It's not funny. It's the lowest common denominator. It's the. It's the lowest you can go without being overtly racist. It's lazy. Um, really, the only saving grace is that Tazawa gets to scream in Japanese, and for whatever reason, wrestling fans love that shit. I don't know why. I, especially when Asuka's doing it. Well, there's a comment about Oscar having a nice set of things to look at while she's screaming, but that's neither here nor there. Hmm. Um, Bray Wyatt said that the Firefly Funhouse at WrestleMania was good shit, pal. 
Well, on SmackDown, that was bad piss, pal. Oh, yeah, what I forgot the, about that. <laughs> what a GDF was that? I'd like to think we're better than that, reality error and all, and then I see stuff like that, and I'm like, oh, so these guys are just failed one of the Attitude Era writers. Gotcha. And to an extent, it's not even the Attitude Era. It's back to the doldrums of 2006, like I talked about earlier. Jeff's line, it's better to be pissed off than pissed on, is a verbatim what Sean said to Vince before he threw the piss in Vince's face. Pepperidge Farm remembers these things, Tony. Yeah, well. MVP for the week. Uh, MVP, for sure. Just the boy was on today. Calling Lana a spot, um, being fully entrenched in his role, watching, you know, from backstage, being consistent. Just, you know what you're going to get with MVP every week. It's consistent. It makes sense. And it's just, it's, it's a nice change of pace. With honorable mention to MVP, specifically for calling Lana a thought, because like I said, I fucking lost it. I got to go with Styles and Brian here, just on the strength of that match, man. MVP was more consistent. MVP was more consistently entertaining, but Styles and Brian had the kind of match that made you forget that we're in the situation we are with wrestling right now. You know, it was solid. Speaking of which, if you are a fan of professional wrestling and you have IWTV. A um, couple of major promotions are getting ready to make their returns to having actual venues with shows with people, granted limited people, and they'll be broadcast live on IWTV. I know Black Label Pro's doing the show within the next couple of weeks. I know IW and Mid-South has one coming up within the next couple of weeks. And then The World on GCW is this Saturday night as well, and that's going to be a presentation through IWTV as well. So if you're looking to get your independent wrestling fix once again, you can do so through IWTV on independentwrestling.tv. Well, there you I'm go. I'm not getting paid for I'm not getting paid for that. That was just a free show because their pro, their content is sweet as fuck. You know I'm a wrestling fan and they have like 50, 60 different promotions and it's only like 10 bucks a month to stream like classic Man. shows from a bunch of different promotions. Anything else to add before we get out of here, Tony? Um, no, just, you know, keep on keeping on. <laughs> Glad you enjoyed Texas. Is everything really bigger down there? Um, the the drinks were really well-priced when we did go out to have a couple. Um, I, didn't, I wouldn't say anything bigger. We did, we had to try the barbecue. And um, it's interesting to know, I, my friend and I, my roommate and I, what we learned was that when you go to Texas for the for the barbecue, it doesn't necessarily mean barbecue sauce. It means they made all of this on the fucking barbecue. <laughs> so that may sound like common knowledge, but apparently it's not. You know, everybody thought, well, you know, my sister thought, uh, her friend thought like, oh, well, we're going to try the barbecue. It's like, well, you're going to. You're going to try what they make on the barbecue, not necessarily their barbecue sauce. You had to ask for it. It was really good, though. 
I'm not a barbecue sauce person, so I think I could actually deal with that. All right. Yes, leave it to the generic white boy to not like seasoning on his food. I know. <laughs> That's it. Cancel Harry Broadhurst. There you go, Twitter. I just gave you your hashtag for the night. He's Tony Acero. I'm Harry Broadhurst. <laughs> She's been the reaction. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you guys next Monday. It's the road to extreme rules on July 19th. God damn it, another pay-per-view again? Okay, whatever. The road to extreme rules continues here on The Reaction, a presentation of the ChairShot Radio Network online at thechairshot.com. Deuces, bitches. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head.